Welcome to another episode of What the Dev. My name is Jenna Sargent and I'm a social media and online editor here at SD Times. Today we're talking to Brendan O'Leary from GitLab about how to release high quality code when doing rapid releases. Often developers might rush through development and testing to get code out fast, but that will lead to subpar code, which isn't really helpful and just causes problems down the line. I'll let Brendan introduce himself and then we'll dive into the topic. My name is Brennan O'Leary, and I'm a senior developer evangelist at GitLab. And so what that means is I spend a lot of time uh, in both GitLab's community as an open source project, but then also in other open source communities, uh, talking about GitLab and developers and their needs and how uh, we can make developers' lives better. Great. So um, today I wanted to talk to you about rapid release, because I know you probably have a lot of experience with that. Um, so I know it's that's obviously something that's been talked about for years and it's in place at a number of companies, but if it's not done right, it can often lead to like poor code being shipped out. So can you list some of the things that teams can do to avoid releasing poor code when doing this sort of like rapid release cycles? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think you, you put it really well that if done poorly, rapid release can actually have a huge negative impact, but... When done correct, uh, you know, releasing code as, as quickly as you can has a huge positive impact in your ability to like deliver better products faster, which is what we're all kind of looking for. And if you focus on, I think, um, the DevOps platform, right? So the, the way in which uh, that code gets from being written to actually released, uh, I think if you take that and think of it as a system and improve that constantly, just like you would improve your code, you can actually have a really big impact uh, and and continue to improve that, right? Um, so it's not kind of like a set it and forget it CI/CD thing. You want to focus on you know the operational efficiency of how is this workflow going to happen for our developers, right? A question I often ask people is, if you write one line of code, how long does it take for that line of code to get into production? And I would postulate, and the data show us that. Um, the faster that you can do that, of course, safely, uh, the better, because you get kind of immediate feedback. Uh, you get uh, you know, the ability to kind of iterate and change things faster. So to do that, I think like high quality code is obviously what we want to ship. Uh, and so there's a couple of things that you can do um, to focus on that. I think you know, prioritizing the tests on the most recently modified code is one. And then kind of on the other side of that is, you know, what code hasn't been touched in a long period of time and having kind of code intelligence over, you know, what impact is this going to have? And then what have we not looked at in some time? Um, those two things, although kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum are really critical, I think. Uh, and then also understanding the coverage of your code over time. Um, you know, you might again, add code coverage to your CI CD pipeline at some point. Um, but then understanding how that coverage is either decreasing or increasing over time, um, you know, kind of targeting a value as a team, uh, that that can help really speed up releases and keep quality high. For the the prioritizing test aspect, does, do you think that teams should have like a kind of set like code that's like older than like this many days or this many hours should be prioritized or like, do you think it needs to be kind of standardized within the team in order to kind of make sure that things aren't getting 
forgotten about? Sure. I, I think standardizing it over the team is key. So there's, you know, some best practices there, right? Like having um, code owners, right? There's sections of the code that's owned by, you know, specific members of the team um, and are, are, you know, clearly the ones that understand that the best. But then also, like I said, prioritizing um, the newest code or the most recently modified codes test to go first. There's, you know, depending on the stack that you're using, there's different ways to do this. Like, you know, Ruby has a test file finder gem that does it. Um, you know, the, depending on the stack, the actual implementation changes. But the idea is get that feedback as quickly as possible to developers. Um, don't have them wait through the whole CICD lifecycle to understand, you know, something broke. Do you have like advice for teams to kind of switch into that mindset? Because if you're all you've if you've always done it like we we test everything and then we ship it, like how do you switch to like we only test what what like is the newest and really needs to be tested now before it gets shipped out and then the rest can kind of wait. Yeah, I mean it's definitely you know like many things DevOps adjacent it's it's a cultural change as much as a technology change and so i think that you know one, one thing that i think has been really valuable especially for teams that are kind of in larger organizations or are more generally you know risk adverse industries um again is, is reading the data so if you look at you know for instance the dora data um i don't know if you're familiar with them but they uh do research on you know devops and best practices and that data actually shows us that you know the teams that are performing at the highest levels both move faster and write higher quality code than those below them so you know kind of innately as humans we think oh those two things can't exist together right like every meme you'll ever see is like you know high quality code quick code correct code like choose two right um but i think if you again if you're focused on the devops process the devops platform you know every step of the the platform that happens to get from coded into production uh, and treat all of that you know the idea of devops as a term would be to treat all of that as kind of a unit right uh, and understanding it and prioritizing it is something that we kind of have to to get our heads around right like developers are also responsible for making sure unit tests are working in pass right making sure we've got you know, efficient feedback. We've got to we've got to all kind of own that process in order to make it work. Mm -hmm. Of the the things that you mentioned, do you think there's one that teams struggle with the most, or that they would struggle with the most? I I think that understanding a code coverage and it's and especially code coverage over time. Right, there's lots of great code coverage tools uh, that give you you know. A snapshot of this point in time, this is what our coverage is. But understanding A, how that's changing over time, and then B, is that actually having a positively correlated impact on our ability to like have better releases? Those two things I think teams really struggle with. And I think the reason for that is kind of the traditional DevOps world where there's a different tool for each step of the life cycle, right? So you've got, um, you know, somewhere you're coding and then somewhere where CICD is running and then somewhere where unit tests and all your tests are running uh, and then somewhere else that you're deploying. And so that's why I think in industry, we see this kind of move towards a DevOps platform, right? There's a lot of consolidation in the dev tool space. Uh, there's a lot of 
enterprises talking about not this tool or that tool, but you know, uniting the tools into a single platform. Uh, and I think the reason for that is you don't really get the benefit of that data if it's in their you know individual tools. And so that's why I think a lot of folks um, are you know you're hearing them talk about this DevOps platform. Again, in the industry, you're seeing a lot of consolidation um, it, between DevOps tools companies. You know, the reason for that is to gain efficiency and be able to believe, uh, deliver to teams, you know, data that actually helps them understand, you know, what is our impact to mean time to recovery? What is our impact to, you know, the time to, to get something deployed in production? Uh, understanding that kind of end to end is really not possible unless you have like an integrated platform. And that could be one tool uh, or that could be many, but it's got to be an integrated platform. Right. Do you think that it's best if teams try to implement these things gradually rather than all at once to help kind of better their chances of actually sticking to these changes? I do. And I, I'm, I'm probably biased to that because at GitLab, we one of our core values is iteration. Uh, and so we we are kind of radical about <laughs> uh, iterating. Uh, for instance, you know, you hear people talk about MVP, minimal viable product. We actually talk about MVC, the minimal viable change. Um, we ship all the time with a what we call a low level of shame. <laughs> we'll ship something if it's not done. Um, you know, if it you know makes it better, we'll ship it. And the thing is, that's true not only of the code you're writing for your customers. But it's got to be true of your your DevOps like processes as well. So I think the best way to do it is to do it incrementally. I don't think you know you get to come down from on high and say, okay, today we're going to do a DevOps <laughs> and we're going to do it right. And um, I think if you can set a cadence and understand your cadence and then just get better over time, that's that's going to go really well. I mean, we've done that ourselves uh, at GitLab. Uh, you know, we release monthly, which is super helpful um, to have that kind of monthly cadence. We, cadence. we release on the 22nd of the month, um, and we've done that for like 100 months or some some large number of months. And that cadence really helps because things are either in or out, right? Like if it's not done, it's out. And it, that stinks if something misses a deadline, quote unquote. But the beauty of it is, you know, okay, well, it was really close. It's going to be, you know, a month away. And so having that cadence really helps us. Uh, and then the fact that we have that cadence has let us move towards continuous delivery. So, you know, we talk a lot about continuous delivery. Well, when it comes to gitlab.com, it used to be that only, that only got updated once a month. But we've, you know, slowly been able to iterate to, okay, now we've got it, you know, weekly uh, updated. Now I think it's every couple of days. And eventually we'll get it so that it's, you know, a collection of microservices that are deploying all the time when code's finished. Um, and so that ability to iterate, I think, is critical. I don't think you can kind of just announce something and then it's done. You've got you've to iterate to get there. I guess a follow-up to that question would be if a team thinks that they only can like do one of the things that you mentioned, is there one that's like the most important that would have the most impact? I think the biggest impact that you can have, again, is that that simple question that I asked, it sounds really simple on its face, but it can be really complicated for people to answer, which is how long does it take for one line of code to get from being written to in production? Uh, if you can't measure that today and can't answer that question quickly, um, that tells you that you're never going to be able to improve that, right? If your goal is to get to faster releases, well, you can't actually measure that <laughs> unless you can answer that question. And so 
being able to answer that question, I think is kind of square zero. Uh, and then once you can answer that question, I think it becomes obvious in answering it where the bottleneck is. And so then it will depend on your team. But I think step one is answer, you know, the simple question. If I had something I wanted to ship and I wrote it right now, how long does it take to get to production? And then that's something I can now measure and you know, what, what's measured can be improved, right? So I think measuring that is step one. I know GitLab is a company that's always been remote. So I'm kind of curious if you have advice for companies that weren't remote and that are now remote that are trying to like collaborate and like be efficient, but maybe are struggling with that, um, with like communicating and stuff like that, that, um, can kind of be a challenge. Sure. Yeah, no, it, it, it can be a challenge. That's putting it mildly. Right. Um, <laughs> And yeah, yeah, we've we've been all remotes kind of since our inception. Um, uh, the story goes that uh, our first uh, sales hire was commuting into San Francisco from Alameda and just decided to stop doing that. <laughs> and, and we became remote <laughs> um, because he could do his job right from home. And um, we're, we've been huge believers in that. Uh, we, you know, that was when we were small and just coming out of Y Combinator. Uh, but now we're, you know, 1300 people in 65 or more different countries. Uh, and so it's something that's kind of been part of GitLab since the beginning, uh, and, and is really, you know, a critical part of our culture. And so one, I would highly recommend people check out our guide on all remote. Uh, like if you just search for GitLab all remote, you'll find it. Uh, we have a fantastic head of remote, uh, Darren, who writes all the time about how we actually make it work. And, and so I would really encourage people to, to use those resources. I've sent them to all kinds of friends. Um, my mom is a teacher, uh, and they now run their meetings for school, uh, the same way GitLab runs our meetings with an agenda document that's in, in Google Docs, uh, and on zoom in the same way we do, because they were really struggling, right. Uh, with having meetings remotely. So I, I, I think the, the critical thing that I always say um, when it comes to communication, working remotely is, you know, writing down as much as possible and making everything that can be asynchronous, asynchronous. So we really value asynchronous communication at GitLab. And part of that is a function of we have to, right? I said 65 different countries. That's obviously lots and lots of different time zones. Uh, and so for decisions and things that need to, to happen, uh, it has to happen in an asynchronous way. And so there's a lot of communication that can be asynchronous, but we're just kind of used to, right? I was in offices my whole career before I came to GitLab and we're just used to it being asynchronous. Like, oh, hey, can I chat with you real quick? Oh, let's jump in a room and, and meet. And that's great. But I think, you know, it's interesting because I, if you asked businesses even before the pandemic, well, you know, what, how can you improve your processes? They'd say, oh, we should write more things down. We should document more. We should, you know, write down our decisions. Um, those are things that we just have to do at, at GitLab. Uh, so I think making any uh, communication that can be asynchronous, asynchronous is great because then that leaves your time for the things that really have to be synchronous and have to be a Zoom call. And you don't have to be on Zoom, you know, 100% of your day to get your job done. Um, and so that's using tools where you can write things down. Like we use... Slack, uh, we use GitLab, obviously, um, but having a, a central place that's the clear source of truth for people is really critical. We have our handbook, which is public, um, 
that's not for everyone, but <laughs> it does mean that we have one place that is clearly uh, the central source of truth for everyone, right? If it's not in the handbook, it's not real. Uh, you you can make a PowerPoint or you know Google slide and propose something, but until it's in the handbook, it's not actually part of our our company. And so that that's really valuable. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, just writing all of that down. Like I, I thought the handbook might have been kind of like a marketing ploy when I first read it before I came to GitLab, uh, and then I came to understand that no, it's really <laughs> how we run the company. Um, and the transparency that comes with that, I think is also really valuable, right? As, as a GitLab employee, uh, I can go figure out how any other department works, right? If I, uh, you know, need security, right? Cause something happens, I lose my laptop, right? There's one place that I can go, um, and find out what to do. Um, and, and, and that goes for any, <laughs> you know, function across the company. Uh, and so I would say, even if, making your handbook public on the internet like we do isn't for you. Make everything you can transparent to the company because that will enable people to get the information when they need it rather than having to have everything be a meeting uh, where information is disseminated. That makes sense. That's all the time we have for today. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to promote or let our listeners know about? Yes, actually tomorrow uh, we're having our annual user conference. For the first time, it's going to be virtual. It's called GitLab Commit. Uh, the theme is You Belong Here, and we'd love to have everyone join us. Uh, it's a free event. Uh, it's over 24 hours to make it time zone friendly for everyone. Uh, and if you just Google GitLab Commit, you'll find it. Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jenna. I'll include links to GitLab's remote work playbook and the registration for GitLab Commit in the show notes in case anyone is interested. I hope you all found this conversation valuable. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast app you use so that you can get notified about new episodes. Bye.